0: As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
1: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com businessgoldcard Business Gold
3: Wishing she never woke up early this morning to join this (laughs) programme. Seema, good morning.
4: Good morning. It's great to be here.
3: Great to have you with us. This recession chat, what underpins (laughs) it? Where's where's it come from? I think a lot of people might look at this situation and say, well, yes, inflation's a problem, but I'm looking at unemployment, 3.5%. Claims have ticked a little bit higher, but they've come back in again. Where's the recession chat come from, apart from maybe we're due one?
4: Well, so we are due one. Uh, I think the problem is that we've been talking about recession for ages and ages and ages. And as you said, people are getting a little bit tired of the discussions. But if you look around the economy today, it looks fairly strong. Yes, there's a soft slowdown happening. But generally speaking, things look okay. And I think the main reason is that the labour market is underpinning everything. But if I put my economist hat on, labour market is typically the last one to fall. It is the most lagging indicator here. But it's also the most important So we're going to be watching, you know, the the lending survey is going to be really important. There is a very, very close correlation between lending data and employment. So as you see a lending contract, you should see job losses increase. So we are expecting recession late this year and everyone's kind of like keeps being pushed out. But it does look very, very likely given the amount of Fed tightening you've seen to date. Markets are almost hoping for this
5: recession. Bring it forward. Let's get it over with. And then we can start with the next cycle. And it seems like that impatience has been embedded in all of the bearishness that we've felt. What's worse for risk assets, though? A recession at this point or stagflation?
4: Oh, stagflation by far. That, that is the worst case scenario. You know, one of the things that has been underpinning markets to this point is this idea that at some point uh, in the next six months, eight months, is that the Fed is going to start cutting rates. There is a lot of assumption out there that inflation is going to keep coming down. That is the consensus forecast. And there's very, very little dispersion in those expectations. So inflation, if it were to reignite and start moving up, that takes away everything which is underpinning the market today.
5: So if we get this ECI print showing that employment costs reaccelerated, which some people expect that to be the base case, what does that mean in terms of exactly
4: what you just said? Right. That means that the Fed's job is not done. You know, we, we, I think, are seeing that, look, we're getting towards the end of the tightening cycle. Everyone believes that there's going to be a rate hike in May, but almost no one is talking about beyond May. The other part that nobody's talking about is not only that could they pause, but why couldn't they also return to the market in September with a new rate hike? if things are not going as planned. You know, they have said that they're very data dependent. They have said that they need to watch and see what the impact of, of Fed tightening is going to be. And if you're not seeing wage growth come down, and if actually you're seeing inflation really plateau at the kind of a 4.5% level, what's to stop them from doing a new rate hike? Now, that I want to clarify, that is not our baseline expectation, sure. but I would put a fairly meaningful chance on that, probably more than what the market is putting right now.
3: You're over from London. Can you tell me, so far this week, in the conversations you've had, the kind of differences that you're experiencing in the conversations here about the US versus, say, London about the US. Are they different at all?
4: They are a little bit different in that no one in the UK is talking about the debt limit. I mean, I, and I find that for international investors generally, they kind of, yeah, we go through this every few years and it always passes OK. And I find that in the US there is definitely a lot more concern. Almost every single client conversation I've had that has come up as a really con- significant concern. Who's got it right? Can I say international? Look, do you think I, so? I do. I, look, I, I think that the chances the, the chances of a default are higher than they have been previously, partly because this administration is so belligerent. But, and that volatility is very disruptive when the market is already very, very vulnerable to She's any kind like of mess. disruption. I shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> I don't take it back though. Okay, so so that is what is disruptive. But I do think that things will eventually all get passed. I'll
3: be fine I'm not here to correct you either. This was wonderful. Do you want to talk about U.S. politics sometime in the future? Next week, the week after that, <laughs> we could do a weekly segment, couldn't we? <laughs>
5: Let's save I her. I you I'm should. So you sorry. should always
3: ask what the people in London think about the situation over here, because was, they seem to have a very, very different view on things. That
5: was fantastic. It was like, can I say the truth? Okay, I won't. Here, here's what I'm going to tell clients. It's okay. That, <laughs> that is yeah, interesting,
3: you know. though, Seema, that they seem to be shaking it off it. What do you think it is about the U.S.-based investor? And why they're so much more obsessed with it here? And I wouldn't—maybe I'm using that word "obsessed" loosely. Why they're paying more attention to it here? Is there good reason for it?
4: I, I think this is standard of investors. You look at your own local market, and you're always more negative about your own market. That goes across the board. I'm probably more negative about the UK than my US colleagues. The same thing in the US. Same thing in Hong Can Kong, China. Come that here that every is. Day. <laughs>
2: this is Daniel from <laughs> Iowa just emailed me, emailed in and said President Biden is not bulletproof. <laughs>
3: Sorry, okay. <laughs> Daniel's the chairman of Principal Asset Management. I appreciate it. It's, it's, there's great. no email on his screen. Don't worry about it. <laughs> not in trouble. Sima Shah of Principal Asset Management. Well, that- Joining us now is Phil Orlando, Chief Equity Market Strategist at Federated Hermes. Phil, wonderful to catch up with you, sir. I want to go back to the question we started this program with, just how much momentum is in this economy from Q1 going into Q2 and looking out through the rest of the year?
6: Uh, not much. That, that you, you look at the GDP print yesterday at 1.1%. We were at one3 I think we were at or near the low on the street, so that was, was a tough number. And regardless, um, our view is that the first quarter of GDP is going to be the high water mark for the year. We're expecting negative GDP prints in the third and the fourth quarter of this year. Uh, There are some folks that are looking for negative prints uh, beginning of next year. So... Uh, our view is that economic momentum is going to be downshifting here over the course of the next year or so.
2: Phil Orlando, I want to talk about sell in May and go away. You have an arc of the market, an arc of many Mays that were successful, and many Mays and summers that were less than successful. What is the character of
6: sell in May and go away this year? I I think it's sort of negative, that you've had a very powerful six-month rally that's taken the market up about twenty percent here from the mid-october lows last year into the forty two hundred level we've seen uh... here just recently as we look out over the next couple of quarters uh... you've got inflation that's still sticky questions about how persistent how hawkish federal reserve is going to be uh... earnings are decelerating questions about recession questions about the impact uh, of banks tightening their yeah. lending standards, reducing their loan volumes. And then you've got the whole, you know, debt ceiling issue that'll probably you know, uh come to fruition here in the third quarter. So for all those right. reasons, our guess is, you know, uh the, the market will probably grind lower over the next six months.
2: Lisa, Ben Laidler of eToro this morning with an absolutely brilliant many decade history of this cliche sell in May and go away. His answer is it's valid, and he really speaks of the mystery of the summer doldrums this year.
5: Well I think everything's been a mystery, frankly 2023 could be chalked up as a full on mystery. And one of the big mysteries is what playbook do we whip out? And Phil, when you're talking about some sort of downshifting in Q3 and Q4, is this a recessionary playbook or is this a deflationary playbook?
6: Uh, our, our view is that we don't know. We're going to be data dependent. But right now, uh, the title of my presentation uh, for clients this year has been recession watch for 2023. We're, we're watching the data as, as closely as anyone. And Again, we've got negative GDP prints in the third and the fourth quarter of this year. Uh, I've seen some economists with negative GDP prints in the first half of next year. So somewhere, you know, within those winter months, uh, we're going to be coming up to that razor's edge of whether or not the economy slides over the edge in a recession.
3: Phil, as you know, the market is not the economy. So can you give me the market call, equity leadership, which pockets of stocks you want to be in?
6: Well, if we're right that this twenty percent six-month rally here reverses over the course of the next six months Then i think the the answer to you know we've got the nfl draft going on i I think we want to keep the defense on the field right now uh so we like cash we like treasuries and we like defensive equities in in stable demand categories uh so large and small cap value stocks and international stocks uh have low PEs, low betas high dividend yields so our, our our mantra here is Let's let's hunker down, preserve some capital until we've got some clarity on some of these issues we've just talked about over the next couple of quarters.
3: I can't get you to bite on the rally in the home builders on the S&P 500, Phil. Uh,
6: The home builders have looked impressive here over the course of the last couple of months. We've been in a housing recession for the last seven or eight quarters. Uh, There's still tremendous pent up demand. And the home builders have done better over the last couple of months. How sustainable is that? If the economy goes into recession, we'll have to see. But but uh, the home builders look attractive here, no question.
3: Something's got a gift. Just amazing. Phil Orlando a Federated Hermes.
0: Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
1: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash BusinessGoldCard.
2: You know, we really have a struggle here because the Yankees are two games ahead of the Red Sox. (laughs) End of April, you know, the season really doesn't start till July 4th, but the Yankees are two games ahead of the Red Sox. (laughs) (laughs) There's three teams ahead of the Yankees, which says it all on the miserableness of Doug Cass and Tom Keane Paul Sweeney and Tom Keene with us. Doug Cass of Seabreeze as well. And Doug, I, you want to link this into the markets right now. And I'm talking about the hunch that George Steinbrenner had years ago to get John Cashman's kid an intern job at the Yankees, which turned into the New York Yankees general manager's decisions of the X decade or so with Brian Cashman. That's worked out, hasn't it?
7: Yeah, sure. I don't know if you're aware of it, but I was very close with John Cashman, Brian's dad. He was president of Castleton Farms, which yeah. was the leading breeder of harness racing, of standard bred horses. And I uh, drove, uh, bred, and raced harness horses. John was a gem.
2: Really? I mean, this is great, Doug, but but again... Remember, it,
7: remember Remember, Tom and Paul, there is always a baseball analog for the markets.
2: There is, but the baseball analog here is Mr. Steinbrenner's hunch what's the hunch out there now killing you and your widely acclaimed caution on the market
7: well i think that if you're if if you're buying stocks here with the s p at 4135 i recommend prayer (laughs) the bottom line is that we've moved back uh this week into a net short position after being cautiously optimistic and non-consensus most of the year We've had a good and profitable last year at Seabreeze. We're having an excellent 2023, and we're profitable in April. But we think that the market risks are multiplying and are non-trivial. I also recommend prayer to the New York fans, and I'll explain why, because I see a very strong similarity between the S&P index and the Yankees' starting lineup. Uh, Today's stock market is non-inclusive. By that, I mean it's top-heavy, Tom. As I mentioned to you, and you quoted me yesterday on surveillance, you take out the seven largest uh, large cap tech stocks and the S&P into Wednesday's close was down 2% and NASDAQ was flat. So to me, you know, the Yankees can't win a pennant in the World Series without broader contributions from all the players, nor can the S&P make much further progress with seven stocks accounting for most of the game. So just look very quickly, and I will make it quick, at the starting lineup. The first half of the Yankees are great. The, bat- the batting order and the Bottom is terrible. Look at uh, La Machine and and, and Torres back to back, belly to belly with home runs last night. At the top of the Yank orders, Yank's order, we got Volpe who is as good as Google. Google in the last seven years, he's batted over 450. Aaron Judge, of course, is Meta. Rizzo is Netflix. <laughs> LeMahieu is Apple, and Torres is Nvidia. But at the bottom half, oh boy, it's a mess. Peraza, he's First Republic Bank. Cabrera, he's batting like Verizon. <sighs> What are they like? Are they the caravan? Caravan with with I'm sure. So the market's leadership is (laughs) narrowing, and I can and I can't recall since the Nifty Fifty period that ended in 1974 such a diverge divergence yeah and importantly from a longer term standpoint i see the next several years as very similar to the years following the bust of the nifty it, 50 it, in 1974 this is so
2: important paul paul i want you to jump in here because mm-hmm. doug and i can blather away forever <laughs> exactly. but you know, the, the nifty 50 equivalent oh, yeah. of my ute is stunning
0: yep absolutely
7: hey, hey paul yes sir I, you know i i i invoke as cooperman does uh, I see seven years ahead to invoke uh, Joseph in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, just as we did following that collapse in the nifty <laughs> Is, that, is, that, right. is that, that for sure. the red did side? You guys read, did you guys read the GOATS interview in the Financial Times this week? Did not. Stan the man, and I don't mean Stan usual, Stan Druckenmiller. Druckenmiller, right. Uh, He's also looking for 10 lean years, so I'm in good company. Uh, These guys sound Uh, like
0: Red Sox fans. Paul, save us. We even got the O's playing 680 baseball here. Hey, Doug, should I be worrying about this whole real estate thing out there? I mean, you walk through Midtown Manhattan and the buildings are just empty. Nobody comes in on Mondays and Fridays. That's a problem in and of itself for all the local retailers. But how about the banks owning all this mortgage debt?
7: yeah i think at the, from a fundamental standpoint the situation is certainly suboptimal the federal reserve faces the trilemma uh, uh the talent the challenge of uh simultaneously reducing inflation minimizing the hit economic growth and jobs and maintaining the stability of the financial system we have um stubborn inflation declining global economic growth and we're doing nothing to improve supply demand situations for commodities especially oil yeah. um, there is this, getting back to what you asked me, there's an unprecedented maturity wall yep. in which a commercial real estate has almost $1.5 trillion resetting. Corporate lending, consumer loans, mortgages will all be resetting at much higher rates if capital is available at all. Right. And I sit on a number of public boards, I see firsthand the reset in the cost of capital. So, I I don't think current valuations are consistent with the 5% benchmark interest rate, and they may even be too high for ZERB QE. Uh, in right. that world that many, uh, well, including the interest rate futures market, yeah. uh, is suggesting you know, but no longer exists.
2: Paul Sweeney brings this up, folks, because he knows the Doug Cass wheelhouse. And I'm going to say this right now because Cass is a piñata out on Twitter. If he's short and <laughs> the stock goes up an eighth of a point,
1: he gets <laughs> hammered.
2: But the answer here, folks, is Doug Cass, back to Kidder Peabody a few years back, actually you read his bank research. Sure. It was a, There was an acuity to it. Um, that th- was really quite something. Doug, on First Republic, I've stated, and i got to be very careful, folks, because I don't editorialize, it was a marketing scheme wrapped around a bank. You're a bank analyst. Should the government institutions come in, Doug Cass, to do an FRC workout?
7: You know, I remember meeting Harry Keefe, uh, who formed Keefe Briette and Woods yeah, with yeah. Norbert Woods and King yeah. Briette yeah uh and then thomas Show t- ultimately a good yeah. pal of mine took over
2: under look, great courage under the crisis of nine yeah.
7: eleven. and harry keith once said bank stocks trade always trade between hatred and apathy <laughs> that basically <laughs> describes what's going on <laughs> look first republic's management committed its own set of errors the bank became a very aggressive mortgage lender to the wealthy Uh, leaving it with many below-market mortgages as its funding costs rose dramatically. Uh, Someone in charge should have seen Um, that just as someone running Silicon Valley Bank should have known that interest rates would rise and destroy the value of the portfolio. But every time there's a financial crisis, we're reminded that bankers are among the least sophisticated economic actors in the (laughs) financial ecosystem. They invariably turn out to be the last to know what's going on and what's unlikely to happen in the future. Perhaps the reason for this is that being a banker is incompatible with questioning consensus thinking.
2: We got time, I got just time for one question, uh, Doug, because John Tucker walked in and he needs <laughs> a space as well. Doug, Cass, not your single best buy. What's your single best short right now?
7: Um, wow, that's a tough call. I'm going to say my single best short right now are the triple Qs, the Nasdaq. Nasdaq yeah.
2: cubes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, right. Doug. We got to leave it there. Thank you so much. And great, Thanks. you know, I really, you know, the, the Yankees are too. You know, Red Sox are too back.
0: Yeah, I mean the the Rays are twenty-one and five. Who plays eight hundred baseball? Well, I don't, you know. And and is anybody watching it in Tampa? That's the key question.
2: Doug Kess, thank you, thank you so much for joining us. for Seabreeze, see him out. Seabreeze Partners, and actually running real money down there. I should point out uh, as well. We're going to get right to it right now because this conversation is two 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 too, too, too uh, important. Lisa Bramwitz and Tom King, Mr. Farrell, waiting with Dr. O'Larian for the next hour's festivities. And with us, and this is really important, is Robert Solentic. He's president, chief executive officer at CBRE. Who is CBRE? What you need to know is if you're a computer guy out of Ames, Iowa, and you get a job in Texas in real estate, over a number of years, maybe it prepares you for the great financial crisis of 2007, 2009. Bob Salantic has been on the watch at CBR3, uh, CBRE, I should say, through now not one, but two crises. And he joins us in our studios this morning. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining Bloomberg this morning. Thank you, Tom. Morning. Good to be here. You, more than anybody I know, push against the stereotype of real estate investment trusts. OMG, we're all going to die. The stocks are cratered. Your stock is down, but you've got a 12% total return over the last 12 years. CBRE is the outlier. What is your best practice removed from the volatility train wreck of REITs? The best practice in the regard
8: you're talking about, Tom, is that we are very diversified. We're diversified across asset type, diversified across service type, diversified across geography, and diversified across client type. And we're very substantial across all four of those dimensions. So Mm -hmm. as things ebb and flow, as secular trends emerge, we can push resources into the areas that are favored as we've done over the last few years by pushing resources into multifamily and pushing resources into warehouses and pushing resources right. into outsourcing and project management. And that's worked very well Nick for us. Nick
2: Bloom is leading the academics on work from home out at Stanford. It's, you know, we all know it's sort of grim and life changing and all that. That part of CBRE that is in the cliche of Midtown Manhattan, Sea to Shining Sea, that's empty is that going to is that going to continue? is Is this legitimate emptiness that we see now? it's
8: It's a legitimate um, backing off of the amount of office space that will be used, But there's some important trends that are contrary to that. So, for instance, companies in general, and certainly here in New York, there's some famous examples here in New York of leaders that want to get their people back in. Well, the way you get your people back into the office, is you create great environments in that office space. And so what you see across New York for the past several quarters, even though office leasing is down and in the first quarter it was down by about a third year over year, We are running ahead of pre-pandemic levels as it relates to high-priced office leases because people want to be in those best buildings. I got
2: a brilliant idea. CBRE takes over the Lincoln Tunnel. That'll (laughs) fix Midtown Manhattan.
5: Well, yes, perhaps we'll have a fancy Lincoln (laughs) Tunnel. This is the issue, though. You have dead office space that isn't retrograde, that isn't retrofitted for the sort of fancy experience. What happens to that? Are there just basically no-man lands of old office space that no one wants?
8: Well, Lisa, we'd love to have an answer for everything, uh, but we don't. And one of the one of the quandaries we're faced with as an industry is there are going to be some antiquated office buildings, and it hasn't been figured out yet what's going to happen. You know, there's a lot of talk about can you convert them uh, to multifamily residential. Some of you can't. Some of them you can. Ironically, the ones that are most able to do that are the older, smaller floor plate buildings. Some of the ones that were built in the 70s and 80s with the very large floor plates. And a small amount of elevators relative to the um, floor plates, etc. It's just not practical to convert them into residential. So we'll have to see what happens with the, those. There's a,
5: there's a larger question here, especially as we're on the precipice of some change in the economic cycle. We don't know when, we don't know what. Uh, but it seems as though there has to be a right sizing with housing prices that have remained resilient and rents that have come down with an economy that is stagnating in certain areas and even with commercial rents staying relatively elevated, which is going to give, our valuations going to fall more in the property or are rents going to fall? Uh,
8: I don't think you're going to see, a, you're talking uh multifamily. Re- most residential. That, yeah. yeah. I don't think rents are going to fall a lot in multifamily residential. And the simple reason for it is even though you have uh, interest rate issues, et cetera, demand supply is still very real in that product type like it is in most product types. And the fact of the matter is you still have slightly less than average historical vacancy rates in multifamily residential. And Mm -hmm. those high interest rates are causing single-family homes to be more expensive, which is pushing people into multifamily rental uh, properties. So I don't think you're going to see a big decline in rental rates at all.
2: I got eight ways to go here. I could go to Miami. I could go to Europe and, you know, talk about what you're doing in Los Angeles or frankly, boom, Southern economies where everybody from New York's moving to, including your Texas as well. Forget about it. Let's go to the Pacific Rim In China. CBRE has a prism on Asia like no one. Do you buy the idea that the West can continue to work with China and that they'll see stability in their property market, which is the mother of all volatile markets?
8: Well, I was I was in Asia in Hong Kong about three weeks ago. And like so many things, Tom, the news, the uh, sensationalism around the political challenges— What's the
2: reality there that you The see? reality
8: there is that we're doing a lot of business in China, and our business in China is growing. And there's a lot of business being done between the U.S. and China and a lot of effort okay. to get U.S. companies in there. There is political risk for sure. But, there, right. but th- that, those <clears throat> are the largest— Cities in the world are some of the largest cities in the world. And one of the things that's happening as it relates mm-hmm. to commercial real estate is intermediation, which we've had here and in Western Europe and in parts of Asia forever, but not so right. much in China, is becoming more and more prominent there. So we we expect to grow our business substantially.
5: Before we let you go, and unfortunately it is too short, I do want to just get your view on what the pricing impact is going to be of some of these regional banks with pretty big portfolios of loans that, rec- that, uh, that back commercial real estate. What is the likelihood of some forced sales that really bring down prices in the near term?
8: There's going to be some forced sales, Lisa, but here's, here's something that it just gets missed. Um, if you look at commercial banks' uh, assets uh, across the United States, less than one and a half percent is in office buildings is in office building loans so yeah there could be there there is some pressure now with less capital available less debt available from commercial banks for office building is being backfilled by other sources of capital um private sources of capital um debt funds etc uh the, the gses um there is going to be down pressure. There is going to be some trouble as it relates to the to the regional banks. But it is certainly not huge in a way that would be ruinous for the uh, commercial bank industry.
5: What about other sectors within the real estate? Are there other areas that are more exposed based on the concentration of these banks?
8: Yeah. Fundamentals are really good in other areas. And when I talk about fundamentals, occupancy rates, and rental rates, so just to give you a few industrial three percent, three and a half percent vacant, institutional quality multifamily less than five percent vacant retail rents are on their way up around the u.s hotels doing very well so the fundamentals in things other than office are actually quite good right now i'm sure both of you have had experiences trying to get into restaurants lately i mean oh no it's uh, i don't have a life lisa (laughs) has a life pharaoh has a life i don't have a life so so again headlines um are, are are partially accurate and did it's you, totally accurate, but not holistically
2: really accurate. Do you realize just he just shows up at any restaurant across the country oh, and says, like, Bob, yeah, absolutely. Bob, please. <laughs> please, did you get the check? Bob Cilentic. As long you. as it's fast food. Well, okay. <laughs> Bob Cilentic, thank you so much with CBRE, a real estate update.
0: Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority. By providing financial professionals with straightforward, client ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation member, FINRA, Columbus,
1: Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
2: If you live the the study of disruption, which many do, you do it at Babson College, and that is the land of the great, late, hugely missed Clay Christensen. Urien Timmer joins us, of Babson, of Wellesley, and of Fidelity, of Boston this morning with exquisite technical analysis on where we are. I'm just going to cut to the chase. Within your first five charts for FMR Co., you say we've been in a 10-months no-man land. When do we know we're escaping up or down—
9: our ten months no man's land. Yeah, so we all know how the cycle began, and we all want to know how the cycle will end. And will it end with uh, the Fed, <clears throat> you know, raising rates one more time next week, and then pausing, which I do think is a likely scenario because we know from history that the Fed raises rates to um, up more or less at or above the inflation rate, uh, the trailing inflation rate, and so the core PCE is at four, six, presumably on its way down. And the Fed is now near five. And of course, the tips break evens are somewhere two to two and a half. So on, on that by that measure, the Fed is well above the neutral rate, if you will. Um, so I think for the Fed, it's mostly a question of how quickly do they go back to neutral, which would be around 3%. And my guess is not, not very. Um, and then the other question is about the earnings front, right? So the market is pricing in uh, a, a modest, uh, contraction in earnings, so there's your modest, um, uh, mild recession, you know, scenario, which I do think is likely second half of the year. But the market's very capable of looking through that, of course, um, as it as it always does. Um, and so on that on that by that measure. Um, you know, we could see a forty percent expansion in the multiple at some point, and the expansion at the bottom in October was fifteen, and so that gets you to twenty-one times next year's earnings of two twenty-five, two thirty, gets you back to the new high. So that's the half, the glass half full scenario where the market deals with the Fed, deals with a modest slowdown or contraction in earnings, and then a recovery. And obviously, the big question is. How good are those earnings forecasts? We know that the consensus numbers tend to be optimistic. And so far, the numbers for this quarter have been OK. Um, but that that becomes really the, the main question. But if you look at the internals, right, the S&P 500 Equal Weighted Index has gone nowhere in 10 months. Uh, the small caps are at the lows. Micro caps are at new lows but the mega caps are at recovery highs and so the market has been all over the place and this you know these trading ranges now 10 months old and back in 2015 it was from August 14 to February 16, 94 was a trading range. So if a trading range is all we're going to get, you know, after all of this craziness of the last three years, you know, little bubbles because of financial repression and then a massive rate reset, then I'll take that as a win. But the earnings need to, you know, the market can look past an earnings valley, but it can't look past an earnings abyss. And so that really is what it comes down to.
3: Lost decades are unusual. We've seen them through history and recent yep. history as well look at Japan as an example of that and other areas as well European banks for much of 10 years did basically nothing you're in when you look at the US equity market after what many people consider to be a bubble that's burst do you see the potential for a lost decade in equity market returns at the index <coughs> level in this country
9: well, we had one, of course, in the 2000s, the 70s, the 30s, and and 40s. Uh, you know, I call them secular bear markets, and secular bull markets tend to last about 18 years produce about an 18% rate of growth, and secular bear markets tend to last about 14 years and produce basically zero growth or negative real growth. And so one of the big questions is, Is has the secular bull market that I think started in 09 has it ended? And uh, they, it would be a shorter-than-usual one, uh, although the one from 1921 to 29... Was very short and extremely powerful. So when you look at valuations and you look at you know the new inflation regime, assuming for a moment that it's going to be above the Fed's uh, target zone, <clears throat> and you look at interest rates, possibly having made secular lows, uh, that would argue for a, a more modest valuation regime, which would go in line with kind of the a secular bear market. But um, but you know to call it another lost decade i 'm not prepared to, you know, to go there yet. Um, a lot of that does come down to financial engineering and you know converting earnings into share buybacks so that 's been an extremely powerful engine um, as well as m a right If you go back to the end of the financial crisis and you look at the supply and demand of shares by corporates themselves, iPOs and secondaries, about two and a half trillion of supply. M&A and buybacks, which is a retirement of, of shares from corporates, about eight times as high. Uh, so it's been a massive imbalance of the supply of shares and the demand for shares, not even counting end investors. This is just the corporates. So if that, <clears throat> if that engine keeps going, then I think the bull market stays alive. But if if a higher rate or a tighter Fed um, regime kind of you know slows down that train, then I think there's a, there's there's reason to think that it could be otherwise.
5: Just quickly, is a 60/40 portfolio going to work in a higher inflation environment with slower growth? So I,
9: I've looked at this going back 150 years, and um, <clears throat> when the inflation rate trends or is sustained above the historical average, which is 3%, then the sixty 40 doesn't work. The 40 does not, is then positively correlated to the 60. Um, so the question is, you know, we were at about a 2% regime. We're now at about 2.5, if you look on a 10-year rate of change basis. Um, so it really comes down to whether the inflation situation remains structural or or transitory, uh, you know. And it's interesting. <clears throat> I just did a, a deep dive on the nineteen forties. Uh, I read the history of the Federal Reserve by Ellen Meltzer, and you know they had twenty percent inflation in forty six and forty seven when the price controls were lifted, um, and at the same time the monetary growth right. started to reverse. And so it really was transitory back then. And you know the kind of the post COVID pent up demand versus the post war. Yeah. There are some similarities. There's there. some
2: similarities there, and then we got to deflation, Eisenhower's true deflation of fifty two, fifty three, and then John that gets you to two to three percent interest rates right now. Do you predict a follow on de- disinflation, deflation?
9: Well, I mean, the monetary base or the money supply numbers are have rolled over, uh, which is what they did in the second half yeah. of the 40s after obviously expanding you know, rapidly from 42 to 46. And then once the price controls were lifted, you had a one-time price shock. And so hopefully this was a one-time price shock. And if so, then the inflation averages go back to kind of the, the historical average, and then 60-40 continues to work. And, you know, the 40 this year is sort of doing what it's supposed to be doing so
3: this was a clinic it was. Tom Keen this a is clinic. what you get from Urien Timmer Urien thank you okay, it's you're good welcome. to see you in New York too Urien Timmer there <clears throat> a fidelity investment
2: subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts listen live every weekday starting at 7am Eastern on Bloomberg.com the iHeart Radio app tune in and the Bloomberg Business app you can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.
1: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com businessgoldcard.
3: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg.